Hello, and welcome to Heartwork, the podcast all about love, relationships, dating, and the work of the heart. My name is Tom Lloyd, and I'm so excited to be here with you today because this is the first episode. It's here, and I'm ready to take a dive into the deep end of the heart. And to do that, I thought it would be a really great idea to bring on someone who knows me and knows my heart really well. So it's a pleasure to have on one of my oldest and dearest girlfriends with us today. Her name is Anita Aronson, and she's the best. She is a constant source of light and laughter and love. And one of my favorite things about her is in our circle of friends we like to say that if she has anything she's got the spunk she delivers she's bubbly she's wonderful she's got a big heart she's not afraid to share it and she's really good at talking about it and i'm excited to share her with you so without further ado let's get down to the heart of it here is my dear friend anita hello hey how are you doing i'm good yeah Um... Yeah, I just lit a candle. Oh yeah. I thought that was nice. <laughs> you, it is nice. It is nice. Look, and um, yeah, I went on a long walk with the doggy. Okay. Well, quarantine. I vacuumed out my car. That's a Corona chore. You know, That's like the Corona. Co- cho- That's like a Corolla Corona chore. <laughs> It's like the kind of thing you wouldn't really have time to do normally, but on exactly. account of a lot of free time, you can now pursue that. There's a lot of things like that right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such as doing a podcast with your friend Tom. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely right. I talked to you about what this is already a little bit, and I feel like I'm mostly just interested in talking about love, boys and what's going on in your heart. And I feel like it's about, it's people that I know. And I feel like, so it's important for people to know, part of it is just how we know each other. Yeah. And then the other part of it is, and like what we love each other about each other. And then the other part of it is how do we love and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. welcome and Mm -hmm. thanks for doing this. I want you to give an intro to yourself. So if you can think about, people are only going to hear you as a voice. (laughs) So like, what do you want people to know about you? Age, race, profession, anything. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever it is, what do you, like what is the frame in which you want people to know who you are? Okay. You get the power over this right now. All right. Well, my name is Anita Rose Aronson. Uh three-year-old cis woman. Um, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I was also born. I live in my house that I bought a few years ago with a former partner, then took over the house and now live with my current partner and my dog, Lucky. Um, I'm a social worker for Minneapolis Public Schools. Um, which is the same school district that Tom and I graduated from and where my mother was also a social worker for 30 years. (laughs) Um, I I present as a white woman with a mixed ethnic background. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) There's a lot of information there. Very white, um, but my mother was Puerto Rico. My dad's from Milwaukee, and I'm a first-generation Minnesotan. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. There's a lot of like, I could ask you just questions off of that. It could be so juicy. I love that answer. Um, okay. So <laughs> beyond that, just how do you know me? What is your first memory of me? Mm. I remember Tom Lloyd wearing Nautica t-shirts and polo t-shirts in middle school. You remember me in middle school. I remember you wearing Nautica, like, polo Ralph Lauren t-shirt. Um, and I remember you as Tom Harvey then. But, like, we didn't really know each other. I didn't know you, I feel like, until my sophomore year of high school when we were both in 
U.S. history class together with Miss Underwood. And uh, at that time, I was I was in an interesting time in my life. You know, I had just come off um, making some really questionable decisions and having a really negative sexual experience and was like kind of transitioning groups of friends. A lot of my friends were going to alternative schools and Mo Peterson and I were becoming friends because of that. And I remember that she was like very adamant that we like incorporate Tom Lloyd into the friend group. Really? And, yeah. And I, you know, and I, you know, largely let her make those kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> what does that mean? That year. Um, and yeah. And then we were hanging out. And that, that is how our paths crossed. <laughs> All right. I feel like my first memory of you is actually not until high school. Okay. And it was, I feel like I remember you talking to somebody and it was like you were supposed to go to South High or something like that. And you were like, oh, I'm here or whatever. And I was like, who's that girl? <laughs> um, I don't, I was like, who is she? And then my other question is, is like, when do you feel like our hearts really connected? Because... I think I was in a similar place actually in like sophomore year of high school where a lot of my friends that I'd grown up with kind of like stopped hanging around me. Oh, because you were masturbating to pictures of girls from middle school. (laughs) Which I clearly was not because I was always gay. It was a rumor. And I don't even know if that's the real reason, but that's something that was going on that I didn't know that was going on. But I started hanging (laughs) But I started hanging around you guys, and I think I would. I was thinking about it, and I was like, "When did our hearts first connect?" And I would say it's probably when you you started giving me rides solo. Mm. Like you would pick me up, and we would like be driving in the car solo, and it was. I felt like it was so cool to hang around you. I like. I really thought you were like cool. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, and I feel like that's when it was like we really started bonding, at least from my perspective. I love doing this. This is so great. Yeah. When do you feel like you and I really started connecting on a heart level? I, you know, I would pick a moment. And the moment that it would be was we were in Jay's basement. Okay. Jay's a friend of ours. What? We have to give context sometimes for other people. Like our our mutual friend, Jay. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I believe our sophomore year of high school and we were hanging out and we were in Jay's basement, which was like a sad little basement studio room that he had. <laughs> Lots of musical equipment. And um, I remember we were talking and we were, you know, talking about like, like the people we liked at school as like teenagers do. And I was like, Tom, who do you like? And <laughs> You know, because like, 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 right? And you were like, you looked at me and you laughed and you said, I like you, Anita. Thinking like, that's not true at all. What's going on with this guy? <laughs> Part of me knew you were gay then, but like, didn't like, like, I, I don't know. There was just some sort of click about the way that we like had that conversation that I was like, there's more to Tom Lloyd than meets the eye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true. Why are we, tell, maybe give the people from your perspective why we're still friends or how you're in my life now. Gosh, that's such a good question. Like, why are we still friends as opposed to like, why I don't. Yeah, because basically we met in high school, really, but we're now we're 33. Like Jay is the the factor right because because I went to school in Madison Wisconsin so I came home more often and I always saw you like we talked a lot but at the same time like even after that there's been every even when we were both living in Minneapolis after college and not seeing each other very often we'd always see each other when Jay came and I feel like when Jay was around too it would really we'd see each other we'd remember how much we enjoyed each other and then start seeing each other more again but i don't want to say it was like just jay because like i don't think it's just jay Mm -hmm. our our relationship is interesting Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel you're like a you feel like a sister in a way yeah 
I would agree, Tom. You feel like a brother in a way to me. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I'm glad we did that. So first question about love. What did love look like for you growing up? What is your role model of love? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> um, that's a good one, though. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, well, my parents divorced when I was two, so I don't really have a lot of memories of them together. My, their divorce was very amicable, and we continued to spend a lot of time, the three of us, after they got divorced. Like, we would go camping a lot. My dad would come over a lot. My mom would come over a lot. Um, they started dating again after they had gotten divorced for a period of time. Um, but so, so it was, it was very amicable and very like gradual, like distancing, even though like the actual act of divorce happened when I was super young. Um, and I think about that a lot because I don't like have a lot of frameworks for like what couples look like. Mm -hmm. and that's also an extension when you don't have siblings, you don't have like an older sibling with like a boyfriend or a girlfriend when you're younger or like somebody else getting married. I don't, have any cousins my age my closest cousins in age right now are like 20 um so there's like a pretty eight big age gap there and then you know I think of like looking to like a lot of my aunts and uncles like are not married I feel like my mom's side is very individualistic in a lot of ways they're not about showing affection they are not about talking about love um, nobody in my family has ever asked me once when I'm going to get married and have children. Wow. Uh, really? Yeah. Like, I think they think of that as a very invasive question that you wouldn't ask. Like they, it's really not, doesn't happen. So, um, so how do you, how does your framework of love work with that? Or is it different? Is it similar? Okay, so, like, the other half of that is, like, media images of love. Like, whenever there was, like, a cartoon and there were two characters who would, like, kiss or something, I would get squirm and get really uncomfortable always growing up. Really? Because, like, never saw that, and I would get embarrassed just to watch something like that. Huh. Um, like, I was really into X-Men, and I liked, you know the guy who throws the cards? Yeah, Gambit. Gambit? And yeah. then they, like, kind of had an on-again an off again thing that was like really tragic because she couldn't talk it she couldn't like touch anybody and I would like get up at 6 a.m and watch it in the dark I like you you could have swore I thought I was watching porn I was like my my parents like can't see me watch this they can't see me like liking this even you know it's a children's show but like um I felt very like ashamed about that and so I think on the flip side of that as an adult like for lack of a better word slutty like <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's fun. Slutty is not a bad word. Really compensating for that, but not knowing like how to have romantic love. Mm. So I feel like I just had to be very open to like letting that like be taught to me. And yet I've still been very like apprehensive and um, like I can be very sexually aggressive, but very like apprehensive romantically because. Um, my father also wasn't very good to my mother, something that I learned later, but I could see because he wasn't always good to me as well. Um, my mom says that she left my father because she did not want me to think that that's how women should be treated. Wow. Which, and, um, you know, my, my, my dad was not very nice to me a lot growing up, very angry, like displays of violence, yelling at me um, for like things I couldn't control as a little kid. So I don't know. All those things are really mixed up. I think I'm very individualistic. I think I'm very like guarded, but also like so thirsty and so like craving it. So it's like, it's like a dualism. Yeah. You and me definitely fight for the center of attention. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> you, I know, love to be the center of a room and you're really good at it. So Sometimes, you know, you are. I have to, I do have to give you that. That's interesting to hear from you, though. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I wanted to ask, maybe I should have asked it before, is where is your heart right now? Like, mm -hmm. if you had to, if you could do like a test on your heart, 
or something like that like where is it like not necessarily yeah just like what's the state of your heart today i would say that my heart is very very full right now yeah I mean, so part of it is part of it is that like i was in a relationship for about seven years with somebody who like did not fill my heart mm -hmm. and i spent like so much energy it was just like toxic like fighting what my gut was telling me, just like beating it off, beating it off. Whenever someone said that phrase, like trust your gut, I like wanted to slap them because it was like, I'm actively not trusting my gut because I think it's the right thing to do. So like, shut up. Um, and so like many things, I made like a very impulsive decision that I knew ultimately felt right. And that was like the best and bravest thing I ever did for myself. What was and the impulsive so, decision? Sorry, just to be clear. Ending that relationship. Gotcha. Like I kind of decided within 24 hours. Then it was done. But like I knew the whole time, but couldn't like, it was in like my subconscious brain before it could like get to my conscious brain. And like since then, the relationship that I've been in, it's like, I like don't have to fight between like my gut and like my head anymore. It's like, um, they're like synced up and it feels peaceful. And Aww, Anita. Really nice. And, um, and are you other, like, are you in love right now? Love. Mm-hmm. Aww. Yeah. Hmm. I feel really, yeah, calm and peaceful and, uh, yeah, and really happy. Mm-hmm. Aw. That's always good to hear. Other thing I would say, too, is, like, I get a lot of love out of my work. Like, being able to, like, care for and help other people, like, and that looks a variety of different ways, but, like, really fills me up in a way that's, like, very prideful. And have, taking care of my dog also was a gift for me to, like, be um like I, I want to have children I'm excited to have children and like giving and and child and like caretaking of children just something I do as a hobby <laughs> um yeah giving myself this sounds so bad weird giving myself to my dog and taking care of him like fills me up with a lot of love like I really want to get lucky tattooed on my neck oh my god no I can't I know I want to. I love what you're saying because I feel like part of what I want to tap into this podcast is that there, there, that love it can be really beyond relationship. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Work a fundamental social work value is on the importance of human relationships, and a big tenet of therapy is that all change and progress happens in relationships that nobody can like just just spontaneously grows um on their own like you have to do it when like being witnessed by somebody oh wow um, loved by somebody like you know when you're like training to be a therapist they teach you like it you need to love your clients like that's not an unprofessional thing like that's an inherent value of the profession if you want to see growth from people like you need to have faith trust and love in them so i love yeah. that perspective mm -hmm. so many good things anita I love how much love is in your life right now. Yeah, there's a lot of love. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Because I do look at you, you know, I know you, and I feel like you're really living life right now. Like you're really getting it. And mm -hmm. on many, like you just kind of outlined, there's so many fronts in your life that you have love. Mm -hmm. And why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because you're lucky or are you doing something? Well, I've always considered myself a very lucky person, but I don't know um, how much of that is like happenstance or like, oh my gosh, like the secret, right? Asking the universe, like expecting from the universe. You know, I was talking about this, like regarding the, the current coronavirus outbreak um, in the world. Um, yeah, everybody knows what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so right now there's this new strain of corona. Yeah, the um, whole, literally the whole world Honda. is experiencing it. <laughs> to anybody, we all know. But yes. Like, um, so it's, 
it's like attitude, right? Like I had a coworker who had this poster in her social work office that said attitude is a big, is a little thing that makes a big difference. And it's true though. Like your attitude is, is vital. And I always have a really positive attitude and my entire life, it's been like a big resilience factor for me. Like my dad really is, he like really victimizes himself a lot. And like, like he's the victim of like everything all the time, which is, yeah, like, like I am not a victim. I'm a very lucky person. And I think that's part of it is like, I expect good things from the universe. And I think I get to receive them for that reason. And then the other thing is like the work of vulnerability. You know, I, I, I feel like I made a decision maybe like 15 years ago to be really vulnerable with love. And to like be really open about my feelings, which is easy um, with alcohol. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, like that's that's been something that's like, like I'll still I still remember like, actually I feel like I made this decision maybe a long time ago when I was in seventh grade. Jay and I were dating, oh, and yeah. he broke up with me over instant messenger. And he and he broke up with me. He said I want to break up, and I was like oh, are you breaking up with me because you want to break up or because other people are telling you to break up with me? Because it's like, you know, that would be like a seventh grade thing. And he was like, I want to break up. And I was like, I don't want to break up. And I was like, you know what, Anita? Like, you just need to say how you feel. Like, if you don't want to break up, you need to be brave and just say that because you're getting dumped anyway. So you may as well just like, be really clear about your intentions to prevent any misunderstandings that may exist. And like, that's kind of how I've always lived my love life though, is to be really vulnerable and vulnerability is actually like how you make connections with people. Like that's, that's the essence of it. If, are you, if you're a fan of Brene Brown. Um. I am. <laughs> and I agree. I totally agree. So you made that decision to be vulnerable in seventh grade. Yeah, I guess so. And I feel like the people I know who are most guarded are, are kind of the most miserable people I know. And that makes me sad. Um, and being vulnerable is a very brave act. That's how I you agree. find mm -hmm. But do you have any questions for me right now? Just because I'm finding that in the last mm -hmm. one, I had like all the questions at the end and I'm trying to like maybe mm -hmm. wonder if you have a question for me. Well, Tom, I was so excited to support you in a creative endeavor because I think part of love is like inspiring is like assisting other people to be their best selves and like creativity really fills you up and I love that about you and so what inspired you to do a podcast about love what inspired me I think I've been doing some deep work on that <clears throat> And on like, what is it that I want to do at the end of the day, no matter who it is or who I'm talking to, like it could be in any arena. If it's, it's, it could be like business, friends, family, spiritual stuff, like always at like at the, after I've been around somebody, it always ends up like talking about boys, relationships, love and the heart. And so it's like, that's what I feel like people really want to talk about. Mm -hmm. And like, they don't talk, I've realized that they don't really talk about it with everybody. Like yeah. people will be like, I don't tell anybody this stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you this stuff. And I love that. I love hearing the story. I love those conversations. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it just feels like something I need to do. Mm. You know, that reminds me of, I don't know if you, it's like, it's funny the like little moments of our lives that like stick out. Like, like I forgot we had gone on drives together, like just us, you know? Yeah. Um, and you remember that. And then, you know, I remember that moment in Jay's basement and I'm sure you don't remember that. No, I don't. <laughs> but, but another a moment, like, cause they're just such little slices of life. But another moment that I remember with you that I really... Um, in which I felt really close to you and I felt that you were really vulnerable and I was vulnerable and like our hearts really connected was, um, this is probably like the closest I've ever felt to you, I think was this. So we, it was the end of the, we had just come back from Jay's wedding and we were in Madison 
And like we had like gone out drinking or whatever. And then we were back at my apartment and we sat in my bed and drank tea and like talked what? about I don't love. remember this at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we talked and about remember, love. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes, I think sometimes like all of us, you can be guarded. Um, and I think sometimes uh, like both of us, like commanding the center of attention is like kind of a way of being guarded right definitely definitely it's a distraction it's like you control what's happening um and I just felt like you were really vulnerable with me and I don't remember exactly what we talked about <laughs> like I know uh-huh. we talked about love and relationships but yeah well here's another example of that with you and me I don't know if this is the closest I ever felt to you but when we were driving I think we were on our way to New York we were driving to New York with Max our mm-hmm. other friend and yeah then, and we were all we were all either in significant <laughs> relationships or we had been or i i had just i was just getting out of one mm-hmm. with craig and mm-hmm. i remember talking we were all talking about like moving forward with those relationships and you were with the guy that you were just talking about that was not making you happy yeah but th- that was, I remember we were talking about it for hours. It was like the three of us, we went one by one by one. And it's like, we spent an hour on like oh, each of us. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And like yeah. all the, the future Man, that trajectory. Was like epic. That was an epic road trip. <laughs> like for, ba- for better or for worse, it was epic. That was a time where, this is an interesting one. I feel like all of your friends knew that that yeah. guy was not right for you. Every yeah. one of us were like, that guy's got to go. Like, he's great. Even yeah. Melinda, I was just talking to her upstairs. I was like, Anita's going to be on. And Melinda was like, yeah, that guy, I met him once, but I wasn't into him. I'm so glad she's not with that guy anymore. And yeah. it's like, and you knew in your gut that he wasn't right. right for you too, but you still held on. I'm like, what's that about? It's like, we can't tell you. I mean, we could tell you, but we know ultimately... <laughs> that that person's not right for you. But I wonder what you think about that. Mm-hmm. That was really painful. What that was, was painful so, about it? Um, it was like painful to know what I had to do, you know, because the relationship wasn't going to end unless I ended it. Um, like I had all the power in it. And yeah, it was just really painful to know that I would have to do that at some point because it was very there were like layers like that was the most painful part and then but like to hear like you guys say you didn't think it was a good relationship was like like I didn't think you were wrong I just thought it was hurtful and then I couldn't decide if I like wanted you to like tell me something like that or not tell me something like that right because but it's you like knew you knew that we felt that yeah you knew we yeah, didn't yeah. even have to tell you no, I think I think you did. I think you were <laughs> was like really like um like direct about it and that was the first like I had gotten that impression from people before but like no one had ever directly said it to me and it was either you or Max. I think both of you like Was it in that car? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was was very direct. About it. I think it was you and you were in the back seat and Max was driving. <laughs> but That's you know, exactly what it was. Yeah. Like, I think about that with friends I have who are with people that I don't think are, like, the best fit for them, and that I think they could be happier with somebody else. But it's like, you know, you tell somebody that, you you hurt them. You, you definitely, you hurt them because you're telling them something that's painful, that, like, yeah. the current trajectory they're on, like, isn't their best life. And then, but if you don't tell somebody, it's like, you allow them to keep doing something that you think isn't in their best interest so like like how do you wrestle with that what do you do and like I knew if anyone was gonna say something like that to me it was you and Max like after we broke up I had lots of people lots of people tell me (laughs) (laughs) so many people (laughs) yeah because it was everyone like I'm telling you like that's why I think this is my mom even told me that was painful my mom Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, because she would not want to show up to that wedding. And this, I usually, my general practice is, you know what? It's not any of my business. That's Mm -hmm. that person's stuff. 
but with somebody i don't know from different with you because i feel like i just know you very well i um, know when you know what somebody's energy is and you can just see that something is not supporting your energy i don't know it was just like it was like this is just not it just doesn't <laughs> like it, it like yeah. Anita can't keep living in the world like this. This is just not who she is. And, yeah. You know, I don't know. It's not, I guess I did tell you, but I mean, ultimately I know you would have to make the choice. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, um, that was the best thing I ever did ever. And it was the hardest thing I ever did, but it was the best thing I ever did. Cause I never like felt more brave or confident or like that. I liked myself so much as after I did that. It like just changed my life. And I I was talking about talking about it with Jay afterwards too. And he was like, yeah, you took control of your life, which isn't the way that I had thought about it at that point. But like, yeah, it's like that's exactly how I feel. Like I took control of my life. I talked about this with the last person that I interviewed actually. Mm -hmm. I talked about how I feel like I'm just, I love myself right now. And that mm -hmm. is doing a lot for me. And he said, what, why? what made that switch for you? What got, and I was like, that was not always the case. No, I yeah. Like I had self love, but I feel like I'm just like on a, I'm deeper into it now. And he was like, what mm -hmm. made that switch for you? And I think it was holding boundaries for what I no longer can tolerate mm. in a relationship. Yeah. With somebody like, it's just being like, nope. Wall like that doesn't, I, it doesn't. Or it's like, that's not how love shows up for me. Like yeah. you doing that isn't how love shows up for me and I don't have the tolerance to like dance around anything but love because that's the only thing I'm looking for right now you know like exactly mm -hmm. yeah I was and then I was so excited like this round of dating like I feel like I've done like several rounds of dating in your life like after every breakup like you start dating again and that looks a lot of different ways but this was the first time in my life that I started dating and I felt like wow, like I really like myself. And like now I get to like go out and find somebody that I like. Like I feel like in the past it was like um, in college it was like, well, whoever will sleep with me. And then yeah. like after college it was like, whoever will call me back. <laughs> and then like after <laughs> that it was like, whoever will call me back and like not be like outwardly abusive. <laughs> like, like those were the standards looking back yeah. on it. And I'm like, my god what terrible terrible standards <laughs> i know and i got in that relationship for so long because i was like well you like slept with me called me back and like we're not like like and again like there were lots of like, like really negative undertones in the relationship but they weren't outwardly abusive <laughs> so that was good enough for me you love yourself enough you know things like that aren't good enough for you anymore yes you do mm -hmm. you absolutely do one of the things that I feel like even that I'm almost require now, which seems so simple, but it's not, is that like people just give me the same amount of love that I'm giving them. Mm -hmm. Like it flows both ways. Cause I have like a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. Do you, you know do. what I mean? And like, yeah, this really makes me think of like one of your email questions was like, um, like what is love or something like that? Yeah. And so I was like, well, what is love? And I was thinking like, like, I feel like, love really is like the act of of being able to be really vulnerable and like to be like purely yourself and this this definition is lifted from the popular netflix series love is blind but okay. like they say that and i'm like oh what a self-centered like definition of love and i'm like but no that's like the kind of love like children have for their parents is like being able to be like to, to be authentically yourself and to like be transparent about your needs and to get unconditional positive regard. And then I think about like what the difference between loving then and like being in love is I feel like being in love because you know, we don't say we're like in love with our parents, right? Like being right. in love, I feel like means that there is like inequality and in power. Like there's always a power differential in parent-child relationships, largely parents. And then I think at, like at the end of life that flops. Um, but like to be in love is for two people to be like authentically themselves and getting that unconditional positive regard back and forth um, in an 
equal partnership of power. Like that's what being in love is, in, in my opinion. <laughs> what does it feel like? I feel like that's like a mental construct of it. Yeah. But what does it feel like? I think like peace. To you, it feels like peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also being yourself. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Which feels peaceful, right? Because you're not fighting your gut. There's no fighting. Hmm? Yeah. Or hiding. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. trying to be something that you're not, right? Yeah. Because I mm -hmm. find that too. It's like, you're like, oh, you completely accept this part of my life? Wait, you mm -hmm. completely accept all parts of my life? Oh my God. That feels mm -hmm. so good. I know. Let's and hang I, out that's, more. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's such a conceited definition of love is that like, like they, they like you like as you are. And I was like, wow, Anita, like, I don't know who brainwashed you into thinking like that wasn't important or that you always had to be better to be loved. But like, that's what it is. <laughs> but like eight to 12 times on Love is Blind. Like everyone said that. And I was like, wow, everyone on Love is Blind is so smart. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like these are people like who really think a lot about love. <laughs> like, I guess they do. I don't think I've seen this show. I need to watch it, I guess. I think you should watch it. It's, um, it's, it, I really think you should. I would love for you to watch it and then, like, have some, like, talking points and then we can do another podcast episode. Okay. We can do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you can I take, like, a Love is Blind, like, BuzzFeed quiz, like, which Love is Blind character are you? I'll tell you after you watch it. <laughs> you already know what character I am, don't you? Well, no, I know what character I got. You have have to take the quiz okay mm -hmm. okay so we're answering a lot of these good questions mm -hmm. um i want to go back to why you stayed in that relationship that you knew wasn't working mm. why and this might have it might be the flip side of what we've already been talking about yeah but why um what, what why yeah i don't think i had fully accepted that it wasn't working like, I feel like part of me the whole time was, like, very conscious of that, but couldn't really accept it as reality because it, it was too painful. Got it. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and that, that's, that's frankly what it was because I kept trying to tell myself that it was okay and to, like, not listen to what other people thought and to trust myself. And then it was, like, but like when I trust myself, like that's not what I feel. And so like a lot of it, and I think it was like a slow grieving process of that being the reality. Like I was really grieving, like the loss of a future I thought I had um, because that was never going to be if I ended this. And so by, and so it was grieving. I was grieving. Um, and then when I finally ended it, it was like the end of, like there was still grieving, but like I had done most of my grieving already. Um, Within which the actual relationship. Up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was wondering, I remember that, that car ride and we were talking about all that stuff. I left out of that car ride and I was, and I wonder what you think about this. I was like these, cause we were like 28 or 29 at that point. Mm -hmm. And both of you were talking about the, the prospect of getting married, of having mm -hmm. kids and like that whole thing and and whether or not this is the person to have kids with or not do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i was like wow these straight people like <laughs> they really want the baby hey nick is here <laughs> hi nick so i was i feel like i left that i was like man i wonder if these these straight people mm -hmm. and the social norms i think it's interesting first of all to hear that you're upbringing of love doesn't really have the role models of like the regular society of getting married when you're around 30 having kids you know what I mean like that whole narrative that people mm -hmm. prescribe to which is kind of deteriorating in society anyways I feel like a little bit yeah but, but I remember being like man I hope my friends aren't sacrificing love for yeah. some type of societal norm that they think they have even yeah. if Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that was a part of, 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 of what you were dealing with in that relationship as well. Yeah. And then like, I feel like women also have a, 
I'm like the fact that my like fertility is limited, uh-huh. like, but like a timestamp on things, right? Like, and that's changing now, but like, um, I feel like you start thinking like, that's not going to be a possibility for you to have kids like so much. It's just kind of nuts. Like how much that it's like fear. It's, it's a fear that you're not going to be able to do this. Or like the whole time you were taking birth control, you weren't fertile anyway. So what was the point? Like, or like uh-huh. every time you worried about being pregnant, it was stupid. Like, cause you're just barren. Like, um, like that, that plays a part of it. And then, yeah, like that normative. And I feel like, you know, you said like, I didn't have that growing up, but it's still the like, societal norm of like heterosexual like marriage and children is still very prevalent like it's not that that didn't you know even if that wasn't what was in front of me like that normative narrative is around us everywhere and I think like that is like what can represent peace to people as opposed to like finding love is peace because it's like as long as your life like fits a trajectory like there's nothing to complain about and like that is somehow like the most feeling thing I don't know this comes up a lot like amongst my female friends about like like not having that because of time and then like what that means like are you like that really has come up a lot actually um yeah it's real I mean and it's something that in the gay community that we don't even think of you know what I mean I mean we we think of it but I was recognizing it as like as a a reality that I was not a part of you know, or like yeah. for me to have a baby, it's a much different strategic framework of mm-hmm. love, resources, time, all these different things. It's like, it feels almost impossible yeah. to have a baby, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, or to have, or, oh my God, a husband, are you kidding? Sometimes it's like living in New York City, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> so it's like, and that's a type, some of the stuff that I'm interested in unpacking with this podcast too. But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're a mostly straight woman, I, in, you know, and this stuff no, is really real. It's like, it's like, whoa, I hope my friend is going to be happy. Yeah. And I think the most painful thing that I've ever experienced is like hearing somebody like a friend of mine say like, that's what they feel like they have to do, but they don't really want to, but they're going to do it anyway. And then it's like, whose template are you trying to fill? You know? And like, just because your template fits something normative, it doesn't mean it's bad, but just because it doesn't either. And like you, this is like why I've always thought <clears throat> lesbians are like the coolest people ever because they're like operating outside of the patriarchy uh-huh yeah and like in a way like you are operating outside of I mean granted the barriers you have to having children are much more significant than breaking any sort of like norm I mean <laughs> but like you you are free of those shackles <laughs> I mean you've got the shackles of homophobia <laughs> and <laughs> family law constructs and um, you know, a lot of other shackles, but like the, that, you know, the normative like marriage, baby, white picket fence shackle is, is one you can be free of. <laughs> if we want to be, we can also yeah. adopt it. And many people do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I love all of these answers. Um, I feel like we covered, oh, this is a great one. This mm-hmm. is probably like my last question to you. And then you can ask me any other questions that you want, but Okay, if you had to go back in time to like middle school, 13-year-old Anita, who's like dealing with love for the first time, or maybe we could go earlier than that if you want, what would you tell her about love? I would tell her to love herself, you know? Amazing. Like, and that's so hard. And like, like I once had a cohort, I had this picture of like my, like my second grade picture in my office at like one of the first elementary schools I worked at. And it was like to remind myself to, of like what it's like to be a child. And looking at that picture, I'm like prepubescent, but I'm so fat that I have little like fat breasts and I'm wearing this like tight turtleneck and I've got like that chap upper lip, you know, that kids get <laughs> like, it's just like the worst picture, but I'm like just smiling and um I stopped smiling for pictures shortly after that I didn't smile again for pictures until middle school because I hated my body so much um I like have spent a lot of time hating and punishing my body like my whole life and that's really painful but um I would like tell myself like I don't know if I would have heard it because it's also like developmentally difficult 
at that time to like love yourself because you're like finding yourself but just like tried to find like ways to be more compassionate for myself and to love myself and like appreciate my body as like my vessel and not like an ornament. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, the reason I was telling that story is because my coworker was like, do you ever tell that little girl you love her? And I remember thinking like, that's absurd. (laughs) And then like, like a couple, I thought about what she said for like another year. And I was like, Oh, she's done a lot more therapy than me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) have you done that um i've tried to it's really hard (laughs) that's the inner child work it's really good it's really good i had to do it recently okay Okay. yeah that's my question for you tell me about your inner child my inner child relationship with your inner child um i don't really have one (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do, I did some of this work recently and mm-hmm. for this program that I'm in and I was surprised by it. I was mm-hmm. really surprised by it actually because I went and talked to him and, you know, for everybody, most, I mean, a lot of, some, I don't know how many people know, but I was, I was sexually abused by my biological father. Mm-hmm. And who is most people, if you know my dad in real life, that is not him. Like my dad, if you don't know, my dad is my, is my actually technically my stepfather, but he raised me. My biological father's out of the picture, but he did sexually abuse me. And that always was making me walk around in a different way as a child. Absolutely. Like it was making me, like I felt very alone in, my, in that experience. I felt like very weird. And I feel mm-hmm. like, I, I felt like there was a need to protect me and mm-hmm. hold me back from a lot of situations, I feel like, because of that experience, which is like, if you look at it from this perspective, it's like, yeah, of course they were doing that to me. Like, of course they would want to protect me, you know? But I feel like, I feel like maybe how that's manifested into my bigger life is that I hold myself back sometimes. Mm. Or like I, 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 I keep in these weirder or different aspects of myself because it feels like there's maybe there's trauma there or there, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't okay. And I needed to like protect and hold that in or something like that. So. Or feel like, like the outside world or other people like aren't able to like handle the weight of, of like me? parts of you. Yeah. Yes, sometimes, yeah. But I also know that people need what I have. Mm-hmm. The more that I go on in life, it's like I feel like I keep running into it's like you've got to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you've got to. Like- I remember, like, even I was like, you know, part of the spiritual side of my life, I keep on wraps sometimes. I remember we were around a fire at Scott's cabin and Duncan you know he's one of our most ridiculous friends he was like tom you gotta share this stuff he's like you gotta share this stuff like you cannot hold it back like the world needs this stuff i remember i'm just remembering that now but it's like because it's like i hold it back i think i i i i keep protected about some stuff because i feel like there was not being like having experience of not normal was dangerous when I was, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it, yeah, so, but that kid is like, that kid is really proud of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've, no, I'm going to ask that differently. Okay, no, I'm going to tell you an anecdote about yourself, okay? okay. So when we were, we were in the car, and like, thank you for being really vulnerable and brave and talking about this. But okay, um, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were in the car, and you said that you had had a child child therapist when you were little and you felt like she did a really good job because you couldn't remember anything yes do you and I remember that this really like stood out to me as something that I could like you know never relate to or have like a parallel experience like that um and do you still feel that's true um do you feel like you processed your trauma in a different way now um I do feel differently about that now because I've actually run into several different people who have been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, actually, I really don't mind sharing that side of my life because actually the more that I do, you realize how like, it's actually scary how common it is. Oh my God, being a school social worker. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like not like, I mean, it's fucked up to say, but it's like, yeah. it's not that uncommon. And so when you open up that space and you can be there for someone else who's had that experience, I feel like that it's really interesting. And one thing that I've been learning actually is that it's very common to not remember because mm -hmm. you suffer so much trauma that yep. your nervous system or whatever it is just locks down the memory. But some people mm -hmm. that I've been running into say that kind of in your early to mid thirties, you start remembering. Mm. And so I, I am 33 right now. I haven't started remembering you right, but I have been thinking like I need to be proactive about, dealing with this stuff because it's going to come up again and I do mm -hmm. feel like when I am in relationships there is I feel like I have been a little bit proactive about it to be honest but when I get into relationships I feel like there are moments that I that are getting triggered by that work mm -hmm. or not that work that experience of trauma that that I mm -hmm. don't know that it's coming from that and I feel yeah. like I kind of need to I do need to like go take a, mm -hmm. a, a deeper dive I actually, I, I've learned about this. It's, I ran into this guy. If you can imagine, this was, I was like, how lucky am I? This guy that I ran into to New York, he was sex trafficked in New York for the first 15 years of his life. He basically doesn't have a memory of his life until he's like 15, 16. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the mm -hmm. trauma? Oh my God. We were like crying, you know? And he's going to write a book. And I'm like, please. Write yeah the <laughs> write the book you know like, you have to write your book it's like duncan saying like you gotta share the stuff <laughs> you gotta share and that's what i'm trying to do you know not necessarily share that part of my experience but it comes up no and i think um the other thing that it's easy to forget is that it's not like like the act of the abuse that is necessarily the most traumatic part like sometimes it's also just like 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 that's your framework for family for like a certain kind of family right like knowing that that happened and like the ripple effects in your family's life because of it and like what people did to protect you and what had to be done like those are all other acts that like go like they're positive things but they all came out of something it's like it's not an isolated event like the ripple effects like make up your whole knowing and like you I I mean I don't know I don't want to speak for you but like coming to the terms of the fact with of that your biological father is like somebody who hurt you so much like is a traumatic framework to be working from right do you think kind of I mean I don't even know how to answer that because I have like literally like no feeling for him yeah um I feel like what's actually more interesting about my situation and that story is like the drastic contrast of my parents, mm -hmm. my mom and the guy she's married right after him, who is like the most loving person ever. They have like the most, it's like, they have like, you know, this marriage that's like, it's like this like storybook marriage that is like everyone looks to as a model for like what a couple is because they're like so loving and I've talked to you know our friend Max a lot he has like a similar type situation with his parents it's like this is actually the it's it's a good role model to have but you have incredibly high expectations when you have that in mm -hmm. front of you because you all you want is storybook romance and like that mm -hmm. is what you're looking for when that doesn't exist so that mixed with the abuse is like this weird the uh, like I feel like this the abuse stuff is really more subconscious what's more mm -hmm. in my life is just like this ultimate juicy love that I'm looking for mm -hmm. that I found I found it a couple mm -hmm. times but I hold out for it are you single or are you in a relationship right now Am I single or am I in a, I am definitely, I would categorize myself as single. Um, but I've had like, I fall in love all the time. Oh, yes. You will have many great loves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have like, I've had like two this year. Maybe I'm on my third already. I don't know. Like, not that it, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I don't, 
You know what I mean? It's like, but I just yeah. love myself. I just keep moving. It's like, okay, girl, you got to go move to another country. You got to go do this. Oh, you're with that. I feel like I, you know what is one thing I think I do? I think I really like bless people with, mm-hmm. I bless people like with relationships. Like after they meet me for whatever reason, they'll be like in a serious relationship. I am not in a relationship, but I feel like I'm always looking for a life partner. Yeah. Who can go the distance. I'm always looking for that person. Mm-hmm. And you will find it. Mm-hmm. I know I will. He's out there. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to, we don't, I feel like I don't want to waste my time in between finding him also. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to. We have to keep like loving, I think. Yeah. Because I feel like the only way to get a love that that's great, that that is worth it, that is that great, is to continue loving and to like love mm-hmm. your, figure out how to love yourself if you haven't love other people and just like keep the love rolling yeah like that's yeah being vulnerable is like what i would yeah i would call that yeah yeah mm-hmm. thank you for uh thank you for taking the time to do this thank you for inviting me and facilitating such an inspiring conversation you're welcome and if you want to do it again we could probably do it again because i am interested in people coming back okay um and i have a lot of free time right now i do too (laughs) (laughs) talk soon okay all right i love you thank you so much I love you. All right. Bye. Happy quarantine. (laughs) Wow. I did not think that that conversation was going to go to the level it did, but I'm happy it went there. It's a place that you can really only go with a good friend. And I think it really highlights the region of the heart that you can go when you're really connected to someone. Me and Anita have known each other for almost two decades. And so actually it's not that's surprising that we could get so vulnerable and honest with each other so easily. And I think it really highlights something that Anita brought up, which is that when you know that you're loved, you are okay to just be exactly who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly, the uncomfortable, the real. You can be who you are and that feels peaceful. Love can be peaceful. Anita has so much good stuff to share and I just have a couple takeaways that I want to share at the end here. Number one, attitude is really important. If you are expecting love in your life, you're much more likely to find it. Number two, we raise the standards of our relationships by experience. We have to experience relationships to know what it is that we're willing to tolerate. Number three, vulnerability is where love and a rich life live, and it takes courage to go there, but it's totally worth it. Number four, when your friends are in a difficult relationship situation, you can see that it's not exactly right for them. They can probably sense it, and you want to tread lightly with how you approach that with them. Number five, inner child work is real, it goes deep, and it's worth doing if you want to confront yourself. (laughs) Number six, if you have to make a hard decision and you are putting it off in one of your relationships or something in life, what's on the other side could be the life of your dreams. It could be the best decision you ever made, so have courage and do it. Number seven, Go watch Love is Blind. It is the rage in quarantine. And go watch it. I took the quiz if you want to know. I am a mark. And it is sometimes painful to watch the mark. I'm not going to lie. And Anita, I thought she was a Giannina. But even after knowing her for so long, I was wrong. You might not know people as well as you think you do. Anita, in fact, is an amber. Thank you so much for being here on our first episode. It means the world because we are really just getting this thing started. I got to be honest, it takes some vulnerability and courage to put this out in the world, but I am dedicated to it and I am dedicated to you. Feel free to let me know. What is it that you like? What don't you? What do you love? What is it that your heart wants to hear 
about love. I'll try to make it happen for you. If you want to stay connected, you can feel free to join the Heartwork Podcast Facebook page or go to heartworkmovement.com and we'll connect you to the email list to get updated that way. More coming because it's all just getting rolled out. But for now, let me say from my heart to yours, I am sending you love. And if you can, do what you can to spread a little more love.